Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Don't worry everybody, we are back. We haven't gone anywhere, but the regular season of the NFL has. It's all over, but it's also wildcard weekend, so there's stuff to be excited about. Me and Matthew Sherry will break down all of that. We'll have a little look back to week 17 of the NFL. We'll also go through the latest hirings and firings in the NFL. This is The Gridiron Show. So welcome to The Gridiron Show. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, all of that malarkey, that shebang. And uh, with me, I'm absolutely delighted to say, is Matthew Sherry, editor of the excellent Gridiron magazine. And Matt, I was at work. Happy New Year, by the way, to you. Yes, I'm here, Matt. Yeah, thanks, mate, thanks. I was at work and uh, sent to work in resplendent, in its uh, in its packaging, is the new Gridiron magazine with... Uh, with um, with the Cowboys featured on the front. And lo and behold, what has happened over the last couple of hours, Jason Garrett has gone. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get lucky with this kind of thing because, you know, I'd really planned to write a big piece on the Cowboys for the December issue um, all year. Um, And then we, we obviously went to the game against Detroit. And it was kind of, I'd interviewed a lot of people for the piece already, and it was kind of one of those where, I really didn't know what the piece was going to be until, you know, until December hit. Um, I assumed it would be a piece about a team who we thought had a chance of winning the Super Bowl, to be honest, when when I planned it out at the start of the year. So the December issue is a weird one because it falls around Christmas and, and postage and that is, is quite is quite difficult to predict um you know you try and do something that's a bit more bigger picture so i'd always plan to get into kind of the america's team thing and how it came to be and um and yeah ultimately the piece ended up being about the the kind of identity crisis of the cowboys is america's team at a time when they've not won a championship for for nearly three decades and and everything like that and and you know that piece was was written at a time when they were still very much in the playoff hunt. So it was a bit risky in the sense that it would have looked pretty daft had they went on a run and won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, everything that's happened now makes the piece, I think, uh, more relevant. So, so yeah, on this, it often goes the other way, but on this occasion it worked out quite nicely for us. Where did it go wrong for Garrett? I mean, how long's a piece of string? But in your eyes, what is I, the... I think, the... I, I think it went wrong by not being a good, a good head coach all the way through. I mean... I I've of the minority opinion that the Tony Romo could have been the quarterback um, to bridge the gap uh, from very good that I think existed um, for a number of quarterbacks of, of his era um, to, towards the greatness um, that was occupied by Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I thought Romo was that good. I really did. Um, I think that yep. you see that now in his role as an analyst, the way he... He reads the game so so adept at reading the game pre-snap, which I think is one of the criticisms that I would level at at, at some of the really top-end quarterbacks now who aren't, you know, Brady or, or Manning or, or Drew Brees. I would say does a very good job of that now, certainly later in his career. Um, but it's certainly something that I've been critical of Aaron Rodgers for in the past. Even Russell Wilson, who you know, Ollie, I absolutely love. I, I don't think that's a strength of his game. Whereas with with Romo, I really think he had. 
he had those skills to be able to to identify things pre-stab. And, and I think we saw late in his run with Dallas, just before the injuries started to strike, just how effective he could be when the right pieces were put around him. But for me, the, the piece that was never around him was, was head coach. And I, and I look back at that, that whole Romo run and think if Bill Parcells had stayed after the, the, the playoff game with the botch snap, then the whole history of the Cowboys' recent history could have been very different. Um, I think that... I think Romo's propensity for 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 killer interceptions um, ultimately gave meant that the microscope almost 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 stayed on him as opposed to Garrett. Um, a lot of the time, that was in games where I don't think the team should have been playing them as close as they did. And I, I just think the Cowboys over the last certainly ten fifteen years have been a waste because they've had a guy as head coach who who is out of his depth and that was that was illustrated more so than ever this year. I mean it the reason he's been fired this year is if you look at even in the Romo years, I'm not convinced there was a team quite as talented as the one this year and for them not to make the playoffs is is an absolute joke. Especially when I mean you look at their 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 roster in week sixteen and yeah, Barry Cooper's been banged up for a lot of the year, but a lot of the key pieces outside of, you know, maybe Van Der Esch and were pretty healthy as well. And they were so deep that even even one of the few teams that could sustain an injury to a key linebacker like Van Der Esch, because they had, you know, another very talented young linebacker in Jalen Smith and, a, and, a, and an experienced guy who can really set the tone. So, yeah, I mean, a litany of problems, but I think it sent us to the fact that Jason Garrett was, was not a very good head coach. And, and, you know, I think Jerry Jones let his positive personal relationship with him keep him around in the job against his better judgment for too long. I think also perhaps um, Jerry Jones's look at the league as a whole may have meant that his his eye wasn't totally on the Cowboys' ball because you know he's he's making money as as one of those guys that works for the league and and sets the agenda for the NFL. Yeah, and so I mean that... he's he's involved in a lot of his fingers are in a lot of pies uh, that yeah. that come off league business as well. So you know, for example. The, the relocation, the new stadium in in um, in Los Angeles, um, he he owns a company that's a big part of of like hundreds of millions to billions of dollars of work uh, that are being done on that stadium. So he is he he's made a, a fair few cottage industries off of the league as well. I, I mean, I, I don't doubt his commitment to the to the Cowboys. I, th- I think that. You know, when Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys, he spent every penny that he'd ever made as an oil man to do it, and he in- inherited a club that was losing a million dollars a week. Um, it it wasn't really a business investment for him. He has turned it into that because of his own ingenuity, certainly in marketing, and 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 he's had a huge impact on the league from that perspective, which is why he's in the Hall of Fame. But I think at his heart, he's a huge football fan. I mean, he was he was. He's a starting offensive lineman for a national championship team at Arkansas. I think more than any other coach, he loves football. But I think that if anything, that has undermined him here because I think I just think he, he you know, he's so involved day to day. You know, there's a famous Friday night r- routine of Jerry and and Jason Garrett. It's been for the last number of years going out on a Friday night and having having cocktails and and food together and they would talk about what the thing's going to happen on a Sunday and you know over that period you know Jason Garrett was an assistant in Dallas he was the backup quarterback to Troy Aikman for a number of years he has built a hugely strong personal relationship with him and I think that's what's blindsided him I I really don't doubt his his commitment to winning Super Bowls I mean I think I wrote in that piece that 
he he's quoted as saying a million times that he'd be terrified to write the number down that he'd be willing to pay just to win another Super Bowl. So I genuinely don't doubt his commitment to it. I, I mean, he is involved in a lot of other things as well, but I just think that a, a personal relationship here, which is admirable to a degree, but you know, in the in the cutthroat world of the NFL, he probably needed to be Jerry Jones' businessman rather than Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett's friend, at some point sooner than now. So the Cowboys will be looking for a new head coach. Three other teams are also looking. Another team who had also fired their head coach has uh, already got involved in in hired one. So um, should we start with Washington? They've hired Ron Rivera. He's coming after being let go by the Panthers um, earlier this season. What do you make of that that appointment? I actually think it's quite a nice appointment. They need someone, someone with an authoritarian look at things to go into that place and um, and almost rebuild entirely. Yeah, I mean, Rivera's a great one for fostering a culture, which is exactly what Washington need. But my only thing yeah. is, I, I, with a coach like that, who is, you know, a very good coach, you know, Mike McCarthy, very similar. It, at the end of the day, he is a good coach. He's won coach of the year twice. Um, he's a boom and bust coach season to season, which I think is an issue. But in my opinion, that coach, when they get let go, it's great when they have a year out. I, I just think, you know, I, I think that Mike McCarthy now is a much more attractive proposition um, than he was a year ago. And that's shown in kind of the media campaign that he's forged by bringing any significant reporter he can into his bunker and explain what he's been doing. But I actually think what he's been doing, which is a lot of what these guys do in their year out, in spending that time away and evaluating themselves and evaluating the league and taking a you know a bigger picture view of the whole league is really valuable. So for me, I would rather, if I was an owner, get Ron Rivera a year down the line. Now, that obviously is not a decision you can make because you knew that somebody was probably going to offer him a job. But I like the hire. Um, I've seen much worse hires in, in recent years, many of them last season. Um, but... I would also have liked him to take stock for a year because I just think that is that is something that is really, really valuable. And, and I can think of numerous guys who have been head coaches somewhere else and have gone into another head coaching job at, at varying levels of success immediately. And it often doesn't work for that reason. I mean, you look at even as far back as Parcells, he would leave places, take some time out and and often resurface a year or two later as opposed to just immediately going back in. Now, a lot of the time that was because he was allegedly retiring, but I, I, I just am always generally in favour of guys who are good coaches who have already been there and done it, taking that year out if they can, because they don't get time to do those things, Ollie, I think. You know, when you're in the when you're in the day-to-day process of it, I, I think that kind of taking the bigger picture look, it doesn't happen. So I, I do like it. I don't want to be critical because I'm not... I'm not critical of it at all but I would like to have seen him take a year out but that's that's nitpicking really. A nice little refresh uh, the Browns got rid of Freddie Kitchens, no yeah. surprise a bloke who looked absolutely out of his depth as head coach of, of Cleveland uh, if I'm looking at the the favourites in, in the old gambling stuff, do it responsibly, responsibly and all of that um, I'm looking at Josh McDaniels Kevin Stefanski and Greg Roman as the guys that are currently employed um, in in the NFL. Mike McCarthy is second favourite, and Urban Meyer is fourth favourite. Um, who of those five do you think is most likely to pitch up at the Browns? Vegas is saying Josh McDaniels at the moment. 
I'm less convinced of that than I was a, a couple of days ago, simply because it's now come out that Paul De Podesta, the the Moneyball executive, uh, who's been in the Browns building for a few years now, having kind of moved over from baseball, is now more heavily involved in the decision making. Now, I actually quite like that. Um, you know, if you look back at the reports, now what they're saying is De Podesta was massively in the favour of Sean McDermott when they give Hugh Jackson the job. Now, Sean McDermott, to me, is the best young coach in the NFL, so he certainly chose wisely on that occasion. Uh, Kevin Stavansky is an interesting name from a coaching tree that I'm personally in favour of, um, and he was the guy he wanted last year as opposed to Kitchen. So if you actually look at the, the twice he's been asked to make that decision, he seems to have got it right. Um, that, to me, th- makes me think that Stavansky's the the name there. I think Mike McCarthy's a real option there for two reasons. One, I would say that they need to get somebody in who's got experience of, of developing and honing young quarterbacks. McCarthy has got arguably the best track record of doing that of anybody in the last 20 years. Um, you look at what he did with Aaron Rodgers, who certainly from a mechanical perspective was a was was a bit of a wild card when the when the Packers drafted him and really tightened him up and, and turned him into potentially the most accurate thrower of a ball we've ever seen. Um, but I also think with McCarthy that in reading those pieces about that year out that I referenced earlier on, he seems to have really embraced analytical thinking, and that's what De Podesta is. I mean, he is the, the guy behind Moneyball in baseball. So so I think that might be a nice fit. And also there's the GM fit, which I think is important to the Browns in the building with, with Elliot Wolf, who who is highly respected, obviously the son of, of Ron Wolfe, the, the former Packers um, personnel supremo and the guy who worked with Al Davis for a lot of years as well. So yeah, I mean, I I I think for me it will be Stefanski or or McCarthy. With the wild card being, and I'm not really sure how he fits into this wider culture of analytics and GM. But it's been mentioned that they're interested in Urban Meyer as well. And for me, that would be outrageously intriguing to a level much greater than any of these guys because that is one of the greatest college head coaches of all time who I think as a as a program leader and, and builder is a great pick but the problem with him is last time we saw him on a sideline for Ohio State he was keeling over every five minutes with, with severe head pain so I'm not sure whether he comes back but I, I would say they're the three because I, I just think McDaniels is very cognizant of, of this really and he's waited so many years now you know he's rejected jobs he's taken jobs and then you turned at the last minute he's only going to go to a situation that's perfect for him and, and I'm not sure um, a, a situation in which Deeper Dester is has that senior kind of VP role would, would suit him do you know why I'm leaning towards Mike McCarthy it's, it is that analytical stuff and if you look what he did with a Green Bay uh, program which was not to hire free agents or big free agents and shop around for the best, the best buys and the best stuff in in um, in the draft and work with the players that you've got and and all of that and getting to countless, well, countless playoffs and multiple Super Bowl or multiple divisional finals, a couple of Super Bowls. Yeah. I think he has already worked within, shall we say, in a in a in a. British soccer term within a budget. I think that is exactly what Deeper Pedesta is all about. Let's move on to uh, two other teams which um, are, are currently still without head coaches, the Panthers and the Giants. Are you hearing anything about who might be good to go there or is, is it kind of all quiet on the the Eastern Coast? The Giants apparently love Matt Rule, who is certainly the, the guy I would 
most favour. The problem with the Giants is they've got really an archaic front office structure. Um, they, they really see it the old-fashioned way. With, what we're seeing with a lot of these jobs now is how they're talking about this pairing of GM and coach and them being in unison. Well, the Giants is not that with Dave Gettleman. He sees it as he's the personnel guy, the coach just coaches the team. Now, that immediately is, is to me, going to alienate many of the big candidates, including McDaniels. Um, certainly, I think including Rule, who turned down the Jets job last year because they tried to insist on certain members of his coaching staff. Um, so it's going to be interesting. The Giants are a blue chip traditional franchise, so I always think they're appealing from that sense. But are they willing to alter their front office structure? It doesn't sound like they are. Um, I think Carolina is an interesting job. Um, I think that Carolina will have a run at all these guys, including McDaniels, including Rule, because Dave Tepper, the owner, is very clearly thinking in in terms of putting in his own blueprint for how the the program is run and I think he'll take input on that from the right coach but a guy with a very analytical mind as well um so I think that's an interesting job I mean the the the, the most interesting job when it comes up I still think is the Cowboys because you know for for all of the flaws there and the flaws are that you may not necessarily have the complete personnel control that you want and I think that will be a big part of any discussions and interviews what you have is a platform that if you're successful with the Cowboys, it's a career changer. You know what I mean? It is the it is America's team. Um, you'll have unlimited resource from Jones in terms of everything you can do beyond the salary caps or investment in any sports science. You know, All teams are going to give you that, but you know for a fact that a desperate aging Jerry Jones is, is more than willing to put his hand in his pocket for, for basically anything that you request. And that just I just think the cashier have been the Cowboys coaches is a big thing and also just look at how long it took them to fire Jason Garrett you know there is there is seemingly a semblance of job stability there if you can maintain a good relationship with ownership so I, I, I think I think the, it's interesting to me the Giants job when it would have come up after Coughlin I'd have said would be one of the real premier NFL jobs but I, I wonder if now it's at the bottom of that list unless you know you can't maybe maybe they can Maybe Bill Belichick's contract's expiring and he fancies it, which I wouldn't admit, I wouldn't rule out, but would say is a no point no no one percent chance. Look, there's um, there's a, a bit of sad news coming out of the NFL, and I wanted to bring this up given you're the the resident historian, um, Sam Weish, the former Bengals head coach. He took them to the Super Bowl in 1988, um, in which they lost. Um, he passed away at the age of 74. Uh, the, the Bengals owner, Mike Brown, said in a statement, Sam was a wonderful guy. We got to know him both as a player and a coach. And as our coach, he had great success and took us to the Super Bowl. He was with, friends with everyone here, both during his tenure and as head, as head coach afterwards. We not only liked him, we admired him as a man. He had great generosity of spirit and lived his life in trying to help others. We express our condolences to Jane, his children, Zach and, Harry, and Kerry. Um, you often see this in the NFL when kind of a head coach goes or a really well-known person goes, that there is an outpouring of, of uh, condolences. And it's no different in this case. No, I mean, I interviewed him three months ago, like for, for an hour and 40 minutes. Um, he was absolutely amazing. Um, he profusely apologised for being late for the interview when I think it was some charity initiative. I'm fairly certain he was at like the local soup kitchen serving people food. I mean, he's just a great, wow. great man. Um, just, it, it was a lovely 90 minutes. I mean, he had great stories. Um, a real, I mean, a real crucial coach. 
first of all, as an assistant in NFL history. I mean, he is literally the guy who found Joe Montana at Notre Dame, um, which is a lot of the reason I interviewed him for the book. Um, he was at the original workout where they, they found Montana by accident. Um, the story is that he turned up to interview uh, to to work out a wide receiver. They needed a quarterback to throw the wide receiver passes. The quarterback who was there at the time was was Montana, who was coming out from Notre Dame. And uh, White went back and reported to Bill Walsh, the receiver isn't amazing, we'll probably draft him, but you need to come and check Montana out, and the rest is, is history. And then, you know, a, an absolutely huge part in those early years of Montana's development was the, was the offensive coordinator, the year that they won their first Super Bowl, the year of the catch. Um, so huge in that sense. And then revolutionized the NFL with the Bengals. I mean, you know, he brought the no-huddle offense to the NFL. Um, it never been used before as a, as a regular package in, in, in professional football. He was controversial within that. You know, teams didn't like him doing that. There was one playoff, the, the year they got the Super Bowl, there was issues around all those playoff games with Seahawks players feigning injury and because of the no-huddle and the Bills famously complained about it and then ironically, 12 months later, would begin their own no-huddle offence in, in the K-Gun that got them to four successive Super Bowls. So yeah, I mean, a, 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 a huge figure in, in the modern history, in particular of the NFL, and, and, and as I say, from speaking to him personally, just a, a lovely guy, and, and tragic news, because I, I mean, sounds like, you know, a short illness, a, a, a completely unexpected thing as well. Yeah, uh, terrible news, and and how weird was it that how weird is it that you know you speak to him just a few months ago? Um, Cincinnati Bengals, by the way, uh, I, I just slipped this in here. Um, I keep hearing people say "by the way" as part of speech. It's once you hear people say it, you yeah, can't you start doing it, don't you? And you start doing it. It's, it's an absolute nightmare, by the way. But the Bengals pick number one. Um, Joe Burrow over this period has been ridiculous. Yeah. I think it was what touchdowns in in one go, uh, one on the floor as well as Ohio as uh, the LSU smashed. Um, was it Ohio they smashed anyway? Uh, they smashed Oklahoma. Oklahoma. There you go yeah. to make the to make the 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 college, college final. The yeah. final. It, it's, it, do you think he'll um, he'll go number one or do yeah? You think, I mean, absolutely no doubt. Will take him number one. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's put forth the, the, the greatest quarterbacking season in the history of college football. I mean, I just, I think if Tua was healthy, it would be a fascinating debate between yeah. between the two. But with, with him not, I don't think any of the, the other quarterbacks. I mean, we, we will do a draft series of pods coming up. I've got a, an idea that I think is going to be quite cool for a podcast series. So we'll get into all these guys. But and, and I'm not convinced, actually, that two is going to declare for the draft. I mean, I'm hearing that that's not going to happen and he might go back to Alabama anyway. So, so yeah, I think he 100% goes number one overall. Um, in terms of coaching, um, the interesting part about that is LSU, um, the, the thing that's really powered their offense this year outside of Joe Burrow is uh, Joe Brady, the, the guy that they hired from the Saints to be their passing game coordinator, has been absolutely incredible. I mean, I've never seen a coach make a, an assistant coach make a single season impact as great as he's made at LSU. Now, to me, if I was the Bengals, I would be... Because he's, he's only a passing game coordinator, so it's not like he's on a huge contract at LSU and they haven't renewed him yet. If I was the Bengals, I would also be hiring Joe Brady and I wouldn't rule out based on the fact that Zach Taylor is, is one of the worst hires as a head coach I've ever seen. Um, just, just offering... Maybe not the head coaching job, but certainly looking at whether you reshape your coaching staff around Burrow, 
and around Joe Brady. That's certainly how I would do it. Um, I'm sure they won't, but but that's what I would be thinking if I was a Bengals fan. Glad you heard it here first, here on the Gridiron Show. Uh, at Gridiron on Twitter, Gridiron Hyper Magazine, uh, for all your needs on the website as well. Look... Hazel Irvin here at Spencer Park in Coventry, where 37-year-old Emily and her mates are taking part in a fancy dress fun run to fundraise for sport relief. And that means I've been lumbered with her dog, Tilly. Oh, Tilly, not over there. And they're off. An impressive array of costumes on show today, everything from penguins to pirates, all taking on poverty and injustice. Respect. Spectacular. Poverty getting crushed by Katie on a space hopper. Easy. Coming into the final stretch now, and it's neck and neck. I think we're in for a photo finish here. But it's Suzanne smashing through injustice. She is a winner. Hey, Tilly, get off my tutu. Tilly, sit. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Let's get into um, playoff weekend, wildcard weekend, one of the best weekends in football. It's so much fun, wildcard weekend. Um, let's do it chronologically, shall we? The Buffalo Bills, as the one of the wildcards, go to the Houston Texans. Actually, this is a really, really interesting game because the Texans have massively flattered to deceive. I don't think you can read too much into Buffalo's defeat against the Jets last weekend. They, they they rested a lot of starters. They're not giving anything away ahead of playoff weekend. What you're going to see is a really, I, I think, uh, well-drilled and well-oiled Buffalo team going up against a Texans team, which Wilfred the fifth may not be available. That's an extra weapon lost to their offense. Deshaun Watson hasn't looked that good. I always worry about Bill O'Brien, that he's got a rick in him as a head coach in decision-making, be it uh, making the wrong decision uh, for plays or uh, clock management or anything like that. So really fascinating game this for me. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, this is usually the dud of the of the playoff weekend, this first Saturday game. It's always the one they give ESPN. Um, and it's often like, it's often, to be fair, in previous years, been the Texans playing the Bengals or something and you know, when the Texans were good winning and then when they were rubbish losing. Um, I think this is going to be a, a, a fascinating game. I mean, kind of this season's podcast has felt like it's been largely about my admiration of, of Sean McDermott and what he's done in yeah. Buffalo. Um, they are so well drilled. They're so difficult to beat because they don't beat themselves. Um, that's becoming a cliche, but it's true. Um, the Texans, to me, are a fascinating team. I look at some of their wins over the season and say that they've got a, a collection of wins that I can point to that are as impressive as as maybe any team in the playoff field. They've won at Arrowhead um, and, and games, actually, because they were very unlucky against the Saints in week one at the Superdome, um, a game where Watson essentially drove them down the field to win it and then they gave up a touchdown and a uh, uh, field goal, sorry, right at the end. Um yeah, I mean, I, I really don't know what we're going to get from the Texans. A lot of that hinges on Will Fuller. I mean, in a couple of these previews, we will talk about guys who are who are coming back and potentially playing, and 
the question of whether they're fully healthy might loom large over the game because their offense is just it's a totally different animal when Fuller's healthy because he just they have everything when Fuller's healthy they have one of the most dangerous deep threats in the NFL in Fuller one of the best receivers both deep and on short passes but certainly on the intermediate level in in, in New Hopkins and a very good slot guy in still so They've just got a lot going for them when everybody's healthy, the Texans. Um, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the Texans lose to the Bills and it wouldn't surprise me if they get to the Super Bowl. They really are that kind of team. And and yeah. I, I do I do attribute a lot of their losses to just being the kind of team who throws in the odd stinker in the regular season. And isn't it a case that because the because the, the postseason to you now that they can flip a switch and turn it up a notch. So I think that's what I'm going to be looking for early, but I, I expect a close game and, and neither outcome would surprise me. I, I'm just about lean towards the Texans because I trust Deshaun Watson in a close game in the fourth quarter to make the plays to win it. Um, in a way, I don't Josh Allen. So I'm just going to give the edge to the Texans. Yeah, and Josh Allen for me has been... He's fantastic on the ground. He's so good on the ground. He's strong. He's elusive. He um, he can read the field really well. He knows when to run. But he generally runs when, his, when he knows he can't complete the pass because he's not the best passer on the planet. In fact, he's a very, very long way away from that. Um, but that Buffalo Bills defense, I think, is really good. And that's where it's going to be most likely won and lost because yeah. the Texas defense hasn't been the same since... Uh, JJ Watt went out and since they got rid of Jadavian Clowney um, and the, 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 the Bills offense isn't that great. It's, it's special teams defense where the Bills really do excel, but that's where the Texans on the other side of the ball, as you said, with all of those offensive weapons in uh, and, the, and the talent there, Carlos Hyde quietly having a, a, a good season. Duke Johnson's a nice third down change of pace, pass catching back as well. So, yeah, fascinating stuff. And I, I, think, and I, I think, think the, the scary have... part about Allen is that the Bills, after that Patriots game in Week 16, had given up more than 24 points twice all season. And Allen, he is so inconsistent passing the ball, but he, he has two big throws in him a game. And, and his big throw is a 50-yard touchdown. You know what I mean? So if you get a couple of those couple of those big, big plays from Allen and the defence is as good as it's been all season. They're just very difficult to beat. So I think that that from the Bills is their formula to success. Try and control the ball in the running game and have Allen make a couple of plays and their defence will do the rest. You're leaning towards the Texans. I'm leaning towards the Bills. The next game, it's the, it's the night game, uh, overnight. What an absolute, I mean to use a Will Gavin term, barnstormer. I cannot wait for this game. You've got the Tennessee Titans, who they are rolling at the moment. They've uh, they've won three of their last five, but the two defeats, one against New Orleans, in which they played actually really well, and the other one, a, a, a field goal loss to, to Houston in another game, which they played very well. They then went and beat Houston and beat them comprehensively last week um, at Houston. And then they're taking on the Patriots, who have lost three of their last five, including that game against Miami last week, where uh, am I reading too much into that game? Um, was it just Miami? I had a feeling that Miami would do it. Was it just that Miami 
it was their Super Bowl. It was the it was a, 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 a talent poor roster's last chance to impress anyone in the NFL. Or against are... the, against the team who already, but, but I think probably believed that they already had the, the number two seed locked up. Then week seventeen games are interesting because they are difficult to just. They must be difficult as a player to get yourself up for, and then suddenly you get in a dogfight. And you know the Patriots responded quite well to being down. I mean, they got ahead, and you thought they'd won the game at the end. But I think the the disappointment from them would be that the defense couldn't see it out on the last drive. But in fairness to the defense, they have pulled them out of the fire so many times over the season that I find the the, the outrageous criticism of them a little bit rich. I mean, there have been multiple games this season where the offense has failed to put up any more than fifteen points, and the Patriots have won. I mean. They've performed to extraordinary levels over the season. It's going to be so interesting. I mean, you know, the the whole dynasty is over stuff is is tiresome given how many times I've seen it over the last 20 years. And, and while I accept that this time it could be, um, I, I, I have no idea what's coming Saturday night. Uh, my instinct tells me that um, the Patriots pull everything together again in a similar way to last postseason and look completely different to the team that we saw in Week 17. I mean, people forget that most people picked the Chargers to beat them in the playoffs last year, and they absolutely wiped the floor with them. Um, I think the Miami game will ultimately cost them a Super Bowl place, because I just don't see them, with a with an aging team, without that two-week bye, and having to play a really physical team this week, beating them and then going back-to-back on the road against Kansas City and Baltimore. I mean, that's as tough a run to the Super Bowl as I can ever remember. So I don't think they'll get to the Super Bowl, but I do think there is a good chance we will see one of those classic the world's against as everyone thinks we're going to lose periods, dominant home performances. The interesting element is it's going to snow, which you would think suits Brady, but he's now 42 and ultimately Tennessee have a, 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 an offensive attack that's built to win in those conditions as well. Oh, you mentioned the physicality of it. Normally teams are pro- most, normally they lean either they're more physical on offense or more physical on defense. On this team, I'm not sure you can really pick it because if you look at, I'll start on the defense, you look up front with the likes of Jarrell Casey and he's a big physical nose tackle, but you've got Bayard in, in, in the backfield and, they're, they're physical in defense, but then on offense, Ryan Tannehill can run, can run the ball when he needs to, but he's throwing it to AJ Brown, who Stefan Gilmer, he had a tough game against Devontae Parker last week. Um, I think he will well, end up. G- Gilmore, Gilmore has bad games in one of like these, I don't, the one o'clock window games when nobody's watching. I, I think of four this season. And whenever there's a big game, he is absolutely sensational. Like that is just what Stefan Gilmore is. The bigger the game, the better he is. The the more the more incomprehensible it is that you would think he'd be terrible, the worse he is. Now, the only thing I would say is there were a lot of those players against against um, Parker that weren't Gilmore's fault. It was just off coverage. The, the Dolphins did a great coaching job on the Patriots. I mean, for me. The one thing I would say on the Dolphins, similar to, I mean, the Lions annihilated the Patriots last season, is they know where all the issues are on that team because their coaching staff is New England's coaching staff from last year. And 
and I, I do think that plays a part in it. Um, I have no worries about Gilmore against AJ Brown, but I do worry about the cumulative effect of Derrick Henry against the defensive line that and a rush defense that's been a lot better the second half of the season. But I think you know, there's only so many times you can hold up against what the Titans do, especially in those kind of conditions. And then on the other side of the ball, the New England offense. I was going to say conversely, Sherry, Derek Henry ran for 211 yards, 32 carries last week, other touches um, and, and, and presence on the offense throughout. Is there a chance that a bit like the England rugby team that he played his game a week early, like the England rugby team did against New Zealand, and then come the playoffs, come the World Cup final, the England rugby team didn't quite do it against a, a physical, um, a physical South Africa. The New England Patriots are a physical defense as well. Yeah, absolutely, and and also I think as much as anything for the Tennessee offenses to win the game, I would expect that Tannehill is going to have to make some plays. Now he's he's played many of his best games against New England for Miami, to be fair, but. I also have seen him repeatedly never win these kind of games. And and it's just a fact of his career. I mean, you can point to last week, but ultimately the Texans rested all their starters. And when they played the Texans two weeks before, they lost. And at that time, you thought that was the end of their playoff hope. So I, I, I think New England will win. I mean, the other element is that since Butler got injured, the Titans have had to play almost exclusively zone defence. Now, in the past, I would have said that Brady will slice and dice that but I mean Brady is the big concern because I haven't rebounded nicely against the Bills I thought he looked terrible last week um, and I, I still don't think he's healthy um, so yeah there's a million factors why I'm back and forth um, Dean Peace, the defensive coordinator has always done well against Brady another guy who used to work for the Patriots uh, Vrabel 1-0 against Belichick in regular season games from last season but I, I just think this is the kind of night where everybody writes the obituaries and New England probably deliver deliver a statement performance that might well be the last one of this run because I think they'll have a much tougher test um, um, next week in Kansas City if they do win. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just, I just give the edge. But they've made it so hard for themselves. I mean, when I looked at the, the playoff race a week ago, I thought that the, the Chiefs having to play the Titans was the potential route for the Patriots to the Super Bowl because I could have seen the Titans having the ball control game to beat the Chiefs on the road and then maybe not being able to follow that up with a win in New England. So they've made it so tough for themselves to get to the Super Bowl, but I think we'll see one, maybe one last glimmer of the the excellence of the 20 years and and they get a big win tomorrow night. I think I think I'm leaning towards that, but again, it doesn't surprise. It wouldn't surprise me if um, the Titans managed to do it. And I, we've it, got a lot of Titans fans who listen. By the way, certainly a couple that I can think of. If you want to see me fall apart while the dynasty does end, <laughs> hear me. Sorry, I am on Talksport um, for the like four hours of the game as the analyst um, between the commentary. So if you want to listen to that, then feel free to stick Talksport on because I will be on there. I will, I will definitely be doing that. I'll sync it up to my uh, to my Sky mate. Um, I'm leaning towards the Patriots. So are you. Look, let's um, let's head over to New Orleans for the Sunday game. It's the early game. Um, the Saints take on the Minnesota Vikings. I think there's two things here. Are we going to see uh, a, a, a Superdome sensation to rival the Minneapolis miracle? We've got maybe. Outside of Lamar Jackson's offense and performances with the the Ravens, 
I think it's the most exciting offense in the NFL going up against the, the most the 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 offense that is most misfiring potentially Chuck Green Bay in that if as if we're talking about offenses in um left in in the playoffs I love what New Orleans do on offense everything about it they've managed to get Alvin Kamara rolling last the last two weeks um whenever they bring in Taysom Hill uh, whatever he does, I think it's absolute box office. It's so much fun to watch. Sean Payton is a genius in doing all of that stuff. They got the best pass catching, one of the best pass catching tight ends in the league in Jared Cook. They've got the best wide receiver in the league in Michael Thomas. You've got uh, Will's favorite, Latavius Murray, is the guy who um, who is who is a good foil to Alvin Kamara. Drew Brees is is playing well. That offensive line is really nice. I, I going up against. A, a Vikings defense which is starting to disintegrate and starting to fall apart as it, you'd expect it to do so at the end of the season when it's it's picked apart by free agency. Yeah, it's it's also an exciting coaching matchup just because Zimmer and Peyton both work together under Parcells um, and, and I think are quite good friends. Um, I think New Orleans will win this game. I'm starting to think that New Orleans are the best team in the NFC. There is a big caveat, and that is, if any team in recent years, New Orleans are the one who I would say have had some of the most weird playoff losses that I've seen. They were the team, if I remember rightly, who got beat by the 7-9 and Seahawks in, in Pete Carroll's first season when Lynch had that amazing touchdown run. Um, and there's been a lot of times where you've looked at the Saints under Peyton and... and and thought, oh wow, they're Super Bowl bound, and they've just lost a weird game in the playoffs. Um, the Minneapolis Miracle, another example, albeit that was on the road and would have been a, a good win for them. Um, I love Mike Zimmer, um, but I, I just think they've hitched their wagon to a quarterback who, in this kind of game in particular, just cannot get the job done, and that's why I, I lean so heavily towards the Saints in this game. I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk as people think, because the Vikings' defence is still really talented, certainly in the front seven. They're, they're, they're as good as there is in the front seven, to, to be honest. It's the back end that's that's really let that defence down this year. Harrison Smith's had a, a down year by his exceptionally high standards. Um, the really? I think he's this year. Sorry, mate. I think Harrison Smith has been really good this year. Every time that I've seen him, I've thought... Yeah, and he's been... He's been... He's been... He's been... He's been, he's been He's been good, but he's been involved in some breakdowns in communication with the cornerbacks that I would lean towards blaming the cornerbacks on, but we just haven't seen those from him. I mean, when I say bad by his own high standards, his standard in the last three years has been all-pro safety, the best safety in football. So, to be fair, I'm judging him only against his own standard there. He's been very good comparatively to the other safeties in the NFL, and I don't deny that. The, The issue's really been a cornerback, and you can see... You can see Peyton making hay with that. Um, you know, the Saints are still quite banged up at linebacker and, and against this Vikings team. This is the kind of situation where if Cook and Madison are healthy, which I think they were going to be last time I checked. I'll have a look at that. Um, certainly Cook, Cook most important of the two, obviously. But this is the kind of situation where really... Oh, wait a minute. No, no, that's against the Packers. Yeah, I think they are going to be healthy, aren't they? I mean, I've not seen anything to suggest 
the won't be. Yeah, Cook said he's going to be a full strength against the Saints. So I, I just think I've seen this offense before that once the running game actually gets rolling and you could really start to put together a whole game plan of control the clock, um, win on third and short, keep the ball out of Drew Brees' hands and then get a lead with a running game, and then you've got your pass rushers who can really get after Drew Brees. I mean, they've got good edge rushers on both sides, great edge rushers on both sides. Then there is a route to victory for the Vikings, but I just think in that building it'll be it'll be very difficult for them ultimately to get it done. And 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 I just don't think you you think it's going to be a close game, and similar to what I said in the in the Bills Texans game. I mean, I have no faith in Kirk Cousins delivering in that moment, and I've seen Drew Brees do it a million times. I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. I, just that offense is ridiculous. It's absolutely, it's box office stuff. The Vikings offense, if they can get Thielen, he's got to get back healthy. If He's not looked great, or he's not looked right ever since he's come back from that injury that kept him out for about six, seven weeks during the middle of the season. Dalf, um, you said about Dalvin Cook, but Stefan Diggs is a, a real boom or bust guy. He needs a big catch at the beginning of the game, and then he'll most likely go for 150 and and 10 catches, that kind of stuff. But if he doesn't get that, he looks more, worse than average. I'm not sure I really believe in that offensive line. And when the off- offensive line disintegrates, and when you've got Cam Jordan coming at you, like the Saints will have, or the, the, the Vikings will have, um, Kirk Cousins... Don't quite trust him. I'm going to go the Saints. Right, let's move on uh, to the Seattle Seahawks, who have to go to Philadelphia to take on the 8-8 eight and eight Philadelphia Eagles. I just want to get your thoughts on the game last week that Willie G was at. <coughs> we had the spider cam, which could do an overhead shot. I think that ball was over the line, but there was no conclusive evidence to suggest that it had gone over the line. Richard Sherman was in the way down the line. And I think um, there was a, there was an arm in the way where you couldn't see the other side. So the, the 49ers get the win, despite letting the Seahawks and Russell Wilson back into it. The Seahawks, who are badly coached in some aspects, who are talent poor in other aspects, but have a, a top three in currently quarterback um, in the league in Russell top Wilson... Four. Okay, Metcalf, who I just, every time I watch him, I'm more and more impressed. And they're going up against an Eagles side that is, again, the is so banged up, but really relishing this underdog status. Yeah. What's, what do you make of this? Uh, I mean, I thought the Seahawks were robbed in, in multiple fashions in the, at the end of the 49ers game. Um, I would have been interested to hear what Will had to say about what I'm sure we'll speak about next week. Um when they when are they going to introduce Hawkeye in the NFL? That's my first question. Hawkeye should determine yeah. every first down and every part of NFL. I don't know why it can't just be an automated system where the Hawkeye system immediately tells you where the ball ended. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and then separate to that, there was also a, a huge pass interference in the end zone a few plays before that as well. I mean, they were robbed on multiple levels, the Seahawks. Um I think this has it's been put in this window because it is it is the most interesting game of a weekend full of them. Um I mean the, the Eagles are scary just because of what they've done the last two years. I mean it feels like when the when the lights shine the Eagles rock up and play well. Um 
Their defence has been absolutely outstanding the last eight weeks. A guy we never mentioned in the head coaching search, how Jim Schwartz has never gotten another chance is really beyond me, given some of the guys who have been given second chances at times. Um, I would say that... Yeah, I mean, I think the Seahawks will win. Quandria Diggs is the key to Seattle's defence. The fact that they nearly beat the 49ers with him, with him out, I think, is, is a real positive sign for them in the playoffs. If he can come back properly healthy... I just think that the lack of weapons on the Eagles kills them. I, I mean, I think Russell Wilson's number one on the list of quarterbacks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just I just ultimately think uh, uh, an exciting game, but I ultimately back Russell Wilson, who, as he showed again the other night, he's just never out of the game. You know what I mean? He just, he, he just seems to always do something at the end of a game to keep Seattle in it. And, and I think he'll do enough in this game to, to get them the win. And then I think if the win, get Clowney properly healthy, or I think he'll only play a little bit against the Eagles. The Seahawks are still a very dangerous team because they've proven that they can play the 49ers close multiple times. Well, and if they win, they end up going and, and uh, the New Orleans Saints win. That means the Seahawks go to San Francisco, a place where yeah. they've already they have the the moral victory and also uh, a real uh, chip on their shoulder, given how that the, the game in in Seattle at CenturyLink played out. So there's no way Seattle want to play them again. Uh, San Francisco want to play them again. No, no, no way, no way whatsoever. So um, yeah, it, really intriguing stuff. I just want to say before we we wrap up, I think. Um, I think uh, Wentz has had an incredible season. Yeah, yeah. well, certainly the last five weeks, he's really... And, and, and really, when you consider what he's worked with all year, it's been, it's been really impressive throughout. Yeah, it's just crazy. Some of the throws he's making, and he's asking his, uh, the, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, eighth, ninth string receiver to, to catch, and they're doing it, and... Just some of the plays he's making. Dallas Goddard's really stepped up. Zach Ertz, I'm not sure, will play because he's still not been cleared for contact as of today. So, um, it's just crazy, crazy how well he's played. But again, that all fosters into the Peterson Philadelphia two years ago underdog mentality that is perfect for that that city. It's the Rocky Balboa mentality. Uh, I and mean, that look, was literally my whole Super Bowl post game piece was about that. When the Eagles beat the Perry. It's as though I've read it. And we both know you haven't. So it's, it's Well, lovely. that's out of order. I definitely, I definitely did. Um, Sherry, have you any final thoughts? Yeah, just that excited. I mean, I think that wildcard weekend for me, there's usually one or two games that I could look at ahead of time and say, well, we know what the outcome's going to be. I think we, as we've got across, and we're not doing this just to build the anticipation for the weekend, uh, that they're all coin flips. So, apart from, I'd say that the one that I'm most sure of is I think the Saints will beat the Vikings. But, as I said, then there is a route to Minnesota win too. So, yeah, unbelievably excited. Enjoy the games. I mean, it's always a bit sad when we transition over to, to just four games in, in a week and then two and then one because you know that it, it heralds a long off-season. But let's just enjoy the games while they're here and, and really bask in, in the most competitive and best football of the year. Never a truer word has been said. Matthew, it's been an absolute pleasure always to talk to you. Cannot wait to listen to you on Saturday night, Sunday morning on Talk Sport with Ollie Wilson. And I can't wait to see you, bud. I, I miss you. It's, well, it's you, crazy. You'll see, you'll see me next crazy. week, pal. 
Why, why, why is that big, I'm, big I'm man? Gonna, I'm going to be in London on Wednesday, Thursday. I'm staying at the Gavin House on Wednesday night, so I'm sure us three will be linking up on Wednesday evening for what's becoming the traditional Chinese and Guinness evening. <laughs> yeah, let's do that, 100%. All right, bud. Uh, this has been the Gridiron Show. Thank you very much for listening. Go and hit us up on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram. Go to the website as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we will see you on the other side of Wildcard Weekend. <laughs>